Welcome to Murder and Mimosas. Just a quick disclaimer before we get started. Our show is Murder and Mimosas. It's a true crime podcast. This means that we do discuss crimes, including but not limited to disappearances, murder, and sexual assaults. All our episodes are told with the respect of the victims and the victims' families in mind. We strive to ensure that we provide factual information, but some information is more verifiable than others. With that, grab your mimosas and let's dive in. Welcome back to Murder and Mimosas. I'm Danica. And I'm Shannon. Today we're going to talk about a case that rocked a small town, went cold for over two decades, and then with the help of new forensic science, rocked the same small town all over again with who this well-known killer turned out to be. So let's talk about a few days before Christmas in 1992, specifically in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Christy Murak and her roommate were getting ready the morning of December 21st in their apartment at Greenfield Estates. Christy's roommate leaves the apartment at about 7 a.m., and at that time, Christy was still in the bathroom getting ready. Christy finishes getting ready and grabs the Christmas gift she wrapped the night before for the students that she teaches in her sixth grade class. However, those gifts wouldn't make it to the school at Roarstown Elementary, where she taught. Instead, she was met at the door by her assailant and murderer. The evidence of the scene showed a major struggle ensued in the foyer. The gifts were strewn about and Christy's footprint was seen at the top of the front door. That's awful and sounds like a brutal scene. So who found her? Her roommate? No, it was actually the principal at the elementary school she worked at. Christy was never late. And at around 8 a.m., she still wasn't at school. Harry Goodman was the principal at the time, and he said he called her about five times with no answer. Of course, this was pre-cell phone, so there was the chance she, she was on the way or and she was stuck in traffic, something like that, and she couldn't call him. So he then called her family, who lived about two hours away, because he knew that she was visiting them that prior weekend. She had visited them, but she had gone home the day before, which was Sunday, and that's what her family told Harry Goodman. So we're going to actually take a quick second and listen to Harry recount the events from that morning in his own words, from his own perspective that day. So I called her apartment about five times, nothing. I called her mother and she said, yeah, she was home over the weekend and she had seen her the day before, which was a Sunday. I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. So I'll take a drive down near where her place is because undoubtedly she has um, a flat tire. I set out with the idea, I'm going down to change the tire. I kept driving and driving, and it was along the interstate. I'm looking at both sides of the road. I don't see Christy. I pull up to her apartment. I saw her car there. It was iced over, and I began to panic. I knew something was wrong. So once Principal Harry arrived at the apartment, he found Christy's front door jar. He steps inside and to the left sees Christy's lifeless body on the living room floor. He ran out of the apartment distraught and started knocking on neighboring doors for someone to call the police. The police were called and arrived on scene. So what was the cause of death? 
Sadly, Christy met a pretty violent end. She was beaten so badly that many of her teeth had fallen out and her jaw was broken. There was a cut wooden, wooden cutting board found by her head that investigators feel was used to beat Christy. They think maybe at first she grabbed it to try to protect herself, but she was overpowered. It was taken and they beat her. Christy was also raped. She still had her coat and gloves on when she was found, but she was nude from the waist down and her shirt was pushed up. Christy's ultimate cause of death, though, was strangulation with her own sweater. There was DNA from both semen and blood that were found on and near Christy's body. Do they know how the perpetrator got in? So the police said there was no forced entry, so they came up with a couple of theories. The first being that Christy knew whoever it was and was possibly even expecting them. The other theory was that Christy was overtaken by somebody at the door as she was leaving. I personally lean towards the latter since she had her coat and gloves on. She had the student's gifts in a bag and seemed ready to go. And most of the struggle happened right in the foyer. However, again, that's just my opinion. Did the police have any suspects? Well, yes and no. They didn't have anyone right away that they suspected. They interviewed hundreds of people, did polygraph tests, collected blood and hairs from many men, a lot of them that that were somehow in Christie's life, ex-boyfriends, co-workers, things like that. There were two men the police really honed in on and seemed to suspect. The first was Principal Harry Goodman because he found the body, and I think all of us armchair detectives know that that is rule number one. If they found the body, they are a suspect. So the issue with him was that he had an alibi, so he was pretty quickly ruled out. The other man, and I can never find his name, but he was secretly dating Christy. Her friends knew about him, but her family didn't. He was quite a bit older and was married. I was just about to ask, was he married since this was so secret? Yeah, that he was. But they were able to rule him out fairly quickly. He was happy to to provide his blood and it didn't match. Well, where did that leave the police at this point? Honestly, with very little. They looked into Christie's background, hoping to find some clues. Christie grew up in Shimokin, Pennsylvania, with her parents, her brother and sister. She had dreamed of teaching at the elementary school where she was now employed. She had started as a substitute first, but was super well-liked by her students and her co-workers. Her roommate called her an early riser, and Christie seemed to have her same usual routine each morning. The police seemed to hear the same thing everywhere they went. Everyone loved Christy. This is those moments on 2020 where they're like, she has friends with everyone and light up, lit up the room. And you're like, yeah, can everyone be that way? But Christy seemed to actually okay. be that way. Halt. When you are sleeping with somebody's husband, there is at least one person that does not like you. Okay, fair. But that person <laughs> may not know yet that they don't like you. That is true. But I guess maybe from the blood. Well, I guess because of the semen, they already know yeah. this is a man. So that person that may not true. like her. But that one doesn't count. (laughs) So this puzzled police even further on who could not only kill her, but in such a brutal fashion. The police narrowed down that Christy would have been killed sometime after 7 a.m. when her roommate left and before or right around 745 when Christy normally left for her work. This is a pretty small window, especially considering that it wasn't long after that Harry Goodman shows up. The police were able to get some eyewitness accounts that they hoped would further their investigation. 
One woman who was walking that morning reported seeing a young man in his early 20s, kind of muscular, roughly 250 pounds, long brown hair but clean-shaven face, walking in the direction of Christie's apartment roughly at 7 a.m. The same woman said that this man was wearing blue jeans and a faded shirt that was blue, white, and black. Others in the apartment complex remembered seeing a white vehicle, possibly a Dodge Daytona or something similar to that style of car. Were they able to find the guy or the car? I mean, those are not just real specific details, but I mean, Dodge Daytona, but I mean, the guy's description is not that specific. Sadly, no, and the leads quickly dried up. It wasn't until over two decades later in 2015 that this case would be looked at again. Through advances in DNA technology, Paraben Nanolab started off using the DNA sample to put together a computer-generated photo based on phenotyping from the perpetrator's DNA. That sounds really cool. So what does that mean? (laughs) Okay, so I went a little bit down a rabbit hole for this one because I was super curious about this. Essentially, they take the DNA and it reads like a how-to manual. So your eye shape, your eye color, your ethnic origins, your face shape, your hair color. And this creates a fairly close image to what the person would look like. However, in this case, it created a fairly average looking person. However, the person that the lady described... (laughs) Stay with us. We'll be right back. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. Also was a fairly average looking person. The thing is, we will have a photo on our Instagram page if you want to see what they came up with while this is happening. The While this phenotyping thing is happening, they also uploaded the DNA to Jedmatch. Okay. What is Jedmatch? Is this like a, this almost sounds like a dating site. <laughs> so it is not that. <laughs> unless you're looking to date within the family tree. Okay. Only in Arkansas. <laughs> or Alabama. <laughs> or Alabama. So this is what we've been hearing more about in closing cold cases here lately. The DNA is put into the system and distant relatives are found. This is actually the same exact company the same exact way that they found the Golden State Killer. Oh. So the DNA is put into the system. Distant relatives are found. In this case, two second cousins of the killer were found. From this information, a genealogist starts putting together a family tree, starting with the great-grandparents. And the investigators followed this family tree to a family in Lancaster. From there, they looked at a bunch of old newspaper records, And they found an engagement notification. They were like, hey, this person kind of fits the description. It could be a very viable subject. However, to be sure, obviously, they needed to check his DNA against the DNA found in Christie's apartment. So, similar to our Grim Reaper case, the police watched their subject. And while he was DJing at a school event, there was an undercover cop who posed his mom. She was able to obtain a water bottle, a plastic drinking cup, and use gum from their target. 
and the DNA match to Raymond Rowe. Who is Raymond Rowe, and did he ever come up in the initial investigation? Well, Raymond Rowe at the time was arrested in June 2018. He was 49 years old. He had been known as DJ Freeze for decades. However, from all accounts, police could not figure out the connection to Christy. He was a married man, which she had a history with married men. <laughs> but he actually wasn't married at the time that it happened. He was engaged. But at this point, he's a married man with children. He went to church every week, had no violent criminal past, and even DJed for celebrities. Was there anything at all that showed he would have even met Christy? That time seems so, so personal to be total strangers. I agree. The crime is a very personal one, and the cops did find a few things. At the time of the murder, Raymond only lived four miles away from Greenfield Estates, which, if you remember, is where Christy was living. So he passed her apartments daily on his way to and from work. He drove a white Toyota at the time, and that was a very similar vehicle given in the eyewitness statements. However, there was one small piece of evidence that could very well put these two in the same spot. Okay, so what is that? It was a ticket to the Chameleon Club. It's found within Christie's belongings after she was killed. This just so happened to be the same club that DJ Freeze would work at every Friday night. While there's no real motive known, and to this day Raymond has not provided one, he did plead guilty in 2019 to first-degree murder and rape in exchange for the death penalty being taken off the table. His sentence was life in prison without the possibility of parole, and an additional 60 to 120 years for the rape. At sentencing, Christie's brother, Vince, asked Raymond why, but he did not respond with anything except for, quote, I can't imagine what you're going through. I apologize, end quote. Christie's father had also planned to speak at the sentencing, but became so overcome with emotion, he literally just collapsed into tears. Earlier this year, in April of 2022, the first appeal by Raymond Rowe was heard. What grounds did he have to appeal on when he pled guilty? So Rowe filed a petition with the court to have more DNA testing done, specifically on the cutting board found near Christie, a toaster that was on top of the cutting board, the pants found near Christie's body, as well as her undershirt and her sweater. His attorney claimed it could provide evidence that might prove Rowe innocent. In my opinion, I think they're just fishing for any type of reasonable doubt. However, the Lancaster County judge denied the petition, essentially citing that this could have been done prior to Roe pleading guilty. District Attorney Heather Adams feels like this is, quote, likely just the beginning of what can be a lengthy appeal process, end quote. I agree with her. I don't foresee Raymond Roe getting out of prison, but I do feel as though he and his attorney will appeal until they run out of appeals. When or if there are any more appeals or vital information, we will make sure to update you guys. So I will say that Harry Goodman, who found her body, talked about having nightmares for years, which I can imagine. Oh, my gosh. I can't imagine either. I mean, you're, you're going thinking you're going to help with a flat tire and you fire, found a murdered co-worker. I mean, that's... That's unimaginable. Yeah, it's just insane. However, if you learned anything from today, it's show up at the same time every day. Because if you don't, 
someone will come looking for you. That is true. Be early so people know to expect you. Yeah, because, I mean, I w- it would have probably been her roommate, I guess, that would have found her at the end of the day had the principal not come looking for her. That's true. But also, I just want to add that I am so frustrated with the appeals process. If you plead guilty, you should not have the opportunity to appeal this. You're wasting taxpayers' time. You're just wasting time, period. But, I mean. Judges' times. Attorney's time. If you're in prison forever, I mean, what else do you have to do except waste other people's time? But I just feel like that should be off the table if you plead guilty. Guess he doesn't have anything else to do because he can't DJ in prison. He might. You never know. You don't know what's going on up in there. Up in there. Up in there. (laughs) If you'd like to see us do our (laughs) prison DJ skit. We will be behind the nearest dumpster because that's the only place anybody would let us show up and do that. I'm so glad, though, that this case was solved through this new DNA, this new forensic science. It's really reassuring to me seeing these cases get solved after so long. More and more of them are getting solved this way. I think that's why I went down that rabbit hole because it was. I just was curious on how all of that worked. Um, and as far as like the family tree, someone has to sit down and manually write out that family tree. I always thought when they were like, oh, we found a match. And it was just like, this is, you know, the computer did all the work. I was like, oh, yeah, it's probably uh, Bob, third cousin to this person who gave us their DNA. Past removed. Yeah. So but someone's is, writing it out. So this is kind of like, I've never been on Ancestry, but I've seen their commercials plenty of times where they're like, you'll have a leaf. So they got to follow the leaves. So to speak. Pretty much, yeah. I will add in here that um, for those who are concerned, Ancestry and 23andMe have clearly stated that they are not part of this. So if you are wanting to send in your DNA to see if you've got a murder in your family, you have to send it to GEDmatch. Or if you've already done Ancestry or 23andMe, then there is a specific way and you can Google that on how to take your information and upload it into GEDmatch to see if there's a murder in your family. They're not an infomercial or anything, <laughs> but I found that while researching. I just wanted people to know, because I know that some people are really like, oh, I want to know this information, but I don't want to know if there's a murder. My 23andMe and Ancestry are not included in that. They're separate. They're a private company. That's not how that works. Or you know which ones to use if you plan on committing a murder. In the future. And yeah. you don't want your DNA. Don't do gen match. <laughs> However, we do not condone murder. <laughs> no, we don't. If you're going to do it, though, let us have an exclusive. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so, Shannon, um, I didn't show you a picture before, but you asked when you saw if this was DJ Freeze. This is the, the sketch from the parameters they found. Pretty basic looking dude. Right, um, it is. So this literally could be like anyone or no one. Like I said, this will be on our Instagram page. The one that we're talking about will have the little, it looks like a neck tattoo of DNA. That's just the Parabon Nanolabs logo. And they did, um, it's the same type of age processing they use for missing children when they do those age progressions. So since this was a 20-year-old case, they have, they thought he would have looked like at the time and then throughout the years. So there's three sequential pictures there and i'm assuming since they did the dna and they linked him to christy there weren't any other 
murders or rapes that came back to him. It seems odd that it would just be this one time. So that's the thing with Jed Match is it's not Vicap. So they matched it to her. But I don't know that they put it in Vicap when they were doing that. Obviously, I guess when he was arrested, yeah, because I think every felony is now put into Vicap. So nothing popped. So that's the thing that's really weird is not only did he randomly do this act, but he never did it again. And his fiance spoke out and he came home that same night and it was like nothing happened. Like she never would have guessed. He ended up being married like four times, but the one at that time that he was engaged to said that it was I mean, just normal. And he was honestly, like, honestly, how does she remember? I can't remember yesterday. How does she remember 20 I, years ago what happened that night? And how he acted. Probably because this was such a big case in this tiny town. I think everybody kind of remembers where they were. You know, it's kind of like the whole, where were you during 9-11? Everybody can answer that. That's true. If they were alive or of age to remember. (laughs) I was very young. I don't remember. I was in school. And so I think it's something like that for a town this small, for something this brutal, to someone who was so sweet. Nobody really knew why or who. I think people may have remembered I mean, things like that. So you said he had four wives or honest fourth wives. Was there any any domestic violence, anything like that? No, most he had was a parking ticket. I mean, he had no criminal past. This just seems really unrealistic and just rare and odd. And I hate that he didn't provide a motive. I want to know why. I want to know how he met her because there's speculation. Like they talked about the chameleon club, but is that where he met her? You know, the only thing people talked about was he was kind of a type a very controlling. So maybe he hit on her and he turned her down or she turned him down. And that, but I mean, nothing after that or before that just seems really crazy to me. I don't know. I don't know if there was drugs involved. I don't know if. I don't. So there's not a lot of information about his background or anything, but it doesn't really sound like a criminal history that we know of. Or Yeah, no criminal history. I don't know about his. Or anything. I don't know about his upbringing. I didn't find a lot on that because he just didn't really talk about any of it. And he didn't want to give us a motive. Well, not us, like me and her, but like the police and stuff or the family. I mean, I don't know how you watch a father break down and not tell him why you killed his little girl. So we've already talked about that you can find those pictures on our Instagram. But if you don't know where our Instagram is, it's murder.mimosas. You can also find us on Twitter, which is murder.mimosas. If you have a case that you'd like us to cover, you can email it to us at murder.mimosas at gmail.com. And, of course, we're on Facebook at Murder and Mimosas Podcast. If you want to get bonus episodes or early episodes, early access to episodes, you can find us on Patreon and sign up for one of those tiers and get that bonus episodes, which are full episode or full interviews, unedited, um, some of our bloopers, which are pretty funny, just behind-the-scenes stuff. And then also access to the video's RV if you don't like to wait. Until next time, have a mimosa on us, and we'll see you next weekend. Bye. Bye.